0: clubhouse attention all passengers
1: the temperature outside is minus 119 degrees celsius we are six years nine months
0: and 26 days from departure for your personal safety
2: be prepared to brace Welcome back to another episode of Pod Clubhouse's coverage of Snowpiercer. This is for the seventh episode of the third season called Ouroboros. I am joined by Kat from Latinx Lines Podcast.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
2: Doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's it's uh, a little earlier than my brain likes to get up in the in the weekend, but we'll manage. And also, as usual, we are joined by my good friend Inez. How are you doing today?
0: Hello, also waking up. So, <laughs> thanks for having me.
2: <laughs> Glad to have you. So, this one is called Ouroboros. Had you guys already known that term before you saw this?
0: No, I, no, I didn't.
2: Well, let me read off of the Wikipedia definition of what that is. Since I don't know it off the top of my head, I had seen it before. I knew what it was, but let's just go with this. It is an ancient symbol depicting a serpent or dragon eating its own tail. It is uh, entered the Western tradition via ancient Egypt iconography and the Greek magical tradition. So it's pretty old. As depicted on the show, you might have noticed that the layout of the train was like a snake eating its own tail, except it was in a figure eight, like an infinity sign. Whereas the traditional Ouroboros is just a circle. Did you guys notice that on the, when he pulled out the map of the yeah. train? Yeah. Yeah. The idea of the Ouroboros is that it just keeps going and going. But with the infinity, I guess it's like a double whammy, like trapped in a loop or something. I think this episode was supposed to be laden, just rich with symbolism that we can try to tease out since the whole thing was you know a dream a representational ordinarily this is like one of my least favorite kind of episodes to co- <laughs> talk about because it can often feel like um filler you know like uh mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily move the plot exactly but this still takes up an hour what did you guys think of a, of a dream episode
1: i actually really enjoyed it i feel like this is one of the more fun episodes even though it's <laughs> it's a uh, laden unconscious and dreaming, <laughs> but it was fun <laughs> to see the characters reimagined in in this like dream state in the dream train. I don't know what we want to call it, but it was fun seeing, um, you know, like what they would be in like another not another world, but it was it was funny, like seeing LJ still being like her LJ self and even Layden's like, oh, yeah, of course you would still be villainous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I was wondering, too, because usually traditionally in like the longer season uh, seasons of TV, like previously, like the 24 episodes, there used to be these episodes really they would just have more fun like what you said and they were filler so I was like huh this is interesting that in a like 10 episode season they're gonna do a filler episode but then it was really cool to see how it panned out because it answered a lot of I think our a, a few questions I was thinking of Inez with Layden and his uh, leadership skills and I, I like that it was <laughs> answering like his headspace of finally I think having literally pardon the pun, uh, come to a head of all the decisions that he's made and how, and the consequences of that. And then I liked that the tree thing is not a mystical woo-woo thing and it actually is something that happened and I love the way they, uh, like that came out. I was like, yay, it's more, it's science and it's just like a, a memory <laughs> thing so, um, so yeah, I, I did enjoy the episode. I think there was sort of a, it was a little bit of a filler episode but maybe it was needed after like the whole previous episodes and it was kind of nice to propel us forward and just see the characters in a different light for a little while.
0: I tend to not particularly enjoy these kinds of major pivots um, from like a common kind of theme, right? I've been so like factual and so like science driven and so like logical put together. So I get thrown off by these kinds of episodes that are very symbolic and creative. But that said, I loved this episode so much. I felt like I was in like a Disney ride, <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> like I was just immersed in a brand new unexpected world. And I just think I focused so much on just like all of like, I wanted to see what the characters were, gonna turn out to be. I wanted to see what this experience was in this, you know, near-death experience perspective of Leightons. It was a lot of fun. I really am surprised at how much I liked it.
2: Did either of you guys watch The Leftovers?
0: I didn't No, not. I haven't.
2: Mm-mm. Oh well then this will be a very short description. There's a <laughs> there's a there's a pair of episodes in that series that depict a character who has Elected to almost die a couple of times for the purpose of seeing this flip side world where everyone he knows is also recast as somebody else. He himself is an international assassin. That's the name of the episode International Assassin. So it's this wild adventure of, you know, abductions and intrigue and things that his life isn't normally you know, involved in. I was reminded of that episode in particular. I also thought that some of the imagery reminded me of the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did you guys?
1: Yeah, it felt like a jungle cruise because usually I thought it was going to do more of a noir Esque Mm. uh, episode yeah because it kind of like the lighting at the beginning and then and then there was just so much um greenery and then they were doing like you know like Javi, and like they were doing like spanish music and and stuff like that and so i was like oh this is cool like i like that they went in a different direction for this sort of throwback noir um like you know episode but it was um in this uh i don't know they were going for like a tropical flavor kind of thing i don't know i liked it
2: (laughs) Yeah, but it have...
1: did feel Jungle Cruise adventure. I like, like Inez said, it felt like we were going on a ride.
2: I thought that Mr. Wilford reminded me of the Belloc character from Raiders, uh, specifically yeah. w- with that hat and that's, that white suit.
1: <laughs> and the white suit, yeah. yeah.
2: All right, well, let's let's dig in. Let's talk about the, the dream, and then maybe we can talk about the real world after we're done talking about the, the dream. Because the real world only consumes you know, a couple of minutes of the the show. First off, is there anything about the dream that stands out to you as like, this is unmissable symbolism. I think everybody would see it this way. For me, I'll lead off.
0: (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Was
2: the moment when LJ and her goons kill all of his friends in the third class dining car or Roche's cantina <laughs> whichever <laughs> i thought that that probably meant that in that mindset that Leighton died in and we know he wakes up in a different one the one he he died in it spoke to me that that meant that he would be willing to sacrifice anybody as long as he was able to play out his idea which in that in that instance was still Heading toward nude, nude, (laughs) nude Eden, uh, New Eden. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that's, that's what that meant to me, because he just looks around and Alex is dead, Roche is dead, everybody's dead. And uh, since the whole thing was him coming to grips with the secret and, and it maybe not being based on anything real, but he learns that later, of course. But he was still willing to carry on with the adventure to wake up and lead people to New Eden. It it, it seemed to me that since he had already let Pike die, you know, let him By his own hand, that he'd be willing to let others die. Maybe not exactly those people, but definitely others.
0: That's a very interesting perspective. And in this uh, kind of episode, the reason why I struggle enjoying them is because I don't like to put the hard work into figuring out (laughs) symbols. (laughs) And so what you're saying is totally, I think, a valid perspective and a a valid inference. I did not get that. In fact, I took it as I wonder if this is symbolic of um, his fear of people finding out his lie because he told her a lie to get across. She. knew that it was a lie because it was a child's performance right because he's the dancer and and then she comes in and like kills everybody and so i kind of took that as like a symbolism of like his lie leading everybody to their deaths
2: that sounds good too see when it comes to symbolism i'm not exactly a home run hitter
0: (laughs) me me neither this is why i stick to facts and logic (laughs) i need something tangible
2: Trying to reinterpret how the different characters manifested in the dream world, I think you could probably get lost, you know, Mm -hmm. enumerating what they were, what they are, what it could mean. Because in some of those cases, I'm positive that the writers wrote in a character... In some cases. And just we're like, because we need an actor in that role, but it, but don't draw too much from it. Does that make sense? Like yeah. having Sykes as the bartender, probably not an important parallel to try, <laughs> to try to make, you know, but but Pike is the priest. Maybe that is more important.
1: Yeah. And then also Josie as like the um, tail boss yeah tail boss because she is basically like the leader of of them in a way you know like she's like the mom so yeah i got that and yeah i think in some of these it's just they're just fun like the side characters are just fun to see them like javi is like uh wilford's i guess i don't know javi was was hot yeah 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 (laughs) i was was all about that crew between javi ruth and wilford in that oh oh, oh, man (laughs) Stevie. yeah and then Javi had like a moment with Sykes too like when he was asking for like the shots and I was like is this like gonna transfer the real world but probably not
2: evil Ruth has brown hair and in braids Uh.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about Evil Ruth for a second? Uh, I love how much fun they had. Like, they had to have had a blast writing her character for this episode because it's so unexpected. Her wardrobe, her attitude, like, she was so fucking scrappy. I loved it so much. And I think probably... I was just laughing about this a second ago. Like, you know, even, like, her wardrobe, right? Like, to have her, (laughs) like you know you you can't help but notice that like the shirt that she's got on like shows her nipples through it um in, in the episode and i that was shocking to me right you don't expect ruth like ruth our ruth that we know and love would never do that like she would never dress in a way where her nipples were showing and i doubt I, but, it. That's true. I, I love that they like went there with this character
2: that's hilarious
1: i guess if if we're trying to pull some symbolism uh, to me it was striking that Wilfred in this wasn't the villain like he it wasn't very villainous like you know he ends up getting shot or whatever and i don't know it kind of had a little bit more sympathy i think and then given the real world wolford and how he's turning a corner also i felt like that was kind of a new thing and then like and it's more laden on his journey you know like every i think there was like so often every every st- every kind of uh, step he was taking in the dream world was just basically like, remember where you came from and like, remember this, is it worth sacrificing? Like all that kind of stuff. It just felt like he's been maybe internally playing those things in his head when he's had to do these like really bad things. And then I think he has never stopped because it's always, there's always something coming up, like mechanical failures that, you know, doing the side project, like on, you know, the six months in the train. And so I think it's been boiling up and then it finally just like all came out, I think where he realize like oh he it probably stressed you know and that's why like and then that whatever when he was losing oxygen and we find out about the tree i think that was just like he realized like oh shit i probably fucked up (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe that's why like in this subconscious he still
0: has you know he's always insecure about Wilford when he's alive and when he's not nearly dying. He's always insecure about Wilford's influence on his life. But in here, yeah, he gives Wilford a role where it kind of shows me that he Still has some kind of foundational respect for Wilford and the resources that impact that he has, which is probably why like why bother keeping him still alive kind of thing. Like, you know, he doesn't let him die because he knows that he does have some value. And even in his subconscious as he's dying, he's still recognizing how resourceful and helpful he can be with him.
1: And maybe also asking himself, am I becoming Wolford? Because he, in this store, in that dream state, he could be that character now, you know, like that way, because of everything he's done and that he had judged Wolford for, but he's on the same path now. <laughs> but although Wolford didn't lie, he was upfront about his bullying, you know? So it's, right. it's, it's, it's almost another layer of, is it worse to be outright, like how with Wilford and his evilness and the things he's done, or is it worse to lie to people with like good intentions? Because if you lie to someone, but like if you had just told them the truth, they would have maybe taken it with, you know, it would, it would have hit hard, but then they would have been like, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. Instead of like all these people think they're going to this new world. And then, and then the person to betray them is not a Wolford that they would expect to. It's going to be Leighton who they've like put so much like blood, sweat and tears into. So I don't know. It was really interesting to see like the way it ended and be like, oh, what are you going to do now?
2: (laughs) That is the, the big fat question. I mean, he goes through the dream adventure and I'm sure some of that sticks with him a little bit even though dreams often recede but I've never been in a coma so I don't know how those dreams work but he wakes up with a totally different point of view so the question mark might be how much truth did the dream represent in terms of especially the Asha portion boy that fight scene felt like to me and i hate to be overly cynical with it but was just like we still need this this episode's two minutes short (laughs) so so let's let's put a fight in there just to kind of add some action anyway i guess the question mark might be was it like a hypnotic sort of state did he pull out things from his memory that were there or did he wake up just having seen things that were all entirely representational, some, something else. It made me curious, but I didn't have the time to want to go back and watch that first episode and be on the lookout for little things like the little skull insignia, which seems like it could have should have appeared also somewhere in that sequence but maybe very subtly and i didn't know to look for it
0: i just assumed that it was because this was making sure that we remembered that this scenario was him dying and that's and that this whole dream sequence was about him going through death So I didn't think that it was something that I should have picked up like in a previous episode. I thought it was more about like the tone of this one. So I'll have to go back and look too.
2: Well, it did appear in that weird... Concussion receiving scene uh, last episode. So what made Ooh. me think that it might have appeared elsewhere was just that everything else in this dream appeared elsewhere, like the hula girl or Winnie's um, doll that she left with Pike's yeah. body. They were all just you know, they were concrete objects that he pulled into the dream state, but just sort of jumbled around. And like the the skull thing kept appearing, like on the on LJ's uniform or on the, some uh, signage in the dream piercer <laughs> and uh on the papers that ben ben prepared the papers yeah yeah it was on his transfer papers so yeah that's what made me think he pulled that also from somewhere but we just didn't notice it but i might be wishing that were true <laughs>
1: Yeah. Cause we didn't see in that episode that they, um, like recreated, um, towards the end about with the tree and Asha, we didn't really see besides him losing oxygen. And then like, he ends up like carrying him when they come in. So we didn't really, we didn't see everything that happened and how he got out of that. So Very then true. that's, yeah. yeah. So I feel like this is where, The subconscious is coming out and like because he's had this like head injury with the concussion it's like maybe it was like buried deep inside because he had been losing oxygen however he got out of that situation and kind of buried that and then mixed in with the melanie science that they were going and like just needing it to be true that there is somewhere that is warming and that they, they can go and like be on ground again or land. He's either remembering something like, Oh shit. Like, you know, cause at the end when he said that, like, Oh, maybe I just wanted it to be true. Um And sort of putting all those little pieces together. Although, I'm sure we're gonna talk about it in the real real, uh, world piercer. (laughs) I like the dream (laughs) piercer you said. Luckily we still have the science. And so I liked that it was paralleling with Alex and Wolford actually discovering something and then like having a really big reveal, which I was really excited for. And so that actually made me wonder like in the next episode either is he gonna go and feel really bad about what he's done and like the fact that maybe there is no new eden and he's lied to all these people and then tell people right away and then like mess everything up or hopefully maybe wolford and alex can get to him first or at least alex and tell him like hey there's actually a possibility that these things are real before he like messes it up right <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I those were my questions with the big reveal and then the real world stuff
2: Anything you want to run with there, Ines?
0: I was thinking about your question earlier, Paul, about like the validity of the information, like his final conclusion when he wakes up. Is it his insecurities that he's having because the dream sequence really fucked up his like confidence in what he knows? Or is it a reveal that he really did make it up because of something that he just like saw physically just the same way with the dolls and whatnot. So I've just kind of been stuck in that curiosity because when I was watching it, I was so sure that he realized like he made it up and then I had my whole like, fuck you, Layton" <laughs> moment. <laughs> I told you, you shouldn't even get the data earlier on. And then I'm like, you know, now you want the data, right? Now you wake up because you're all in a fucking hole and you, you know, so, but you've intrigued my curiosity about, is it still a valid thing that he's picked up? And now he's just kind of shook because he almost died about it and he wants to be extra secure. So I'm just kind of like on a, my own little thought train, right? now
2: it is curious I mean because he does wake up very convinced or at least he seems that way that he's he's done a very wrong thing less so maybe about needing to kill pike but more so about leading the train in what may be a fool's errand I don't have a whole lot more to say about the dream except I was noticing that in a lot of cases the representational version of the of the people that he knows and you could call them opposites in, in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. Just like Pike being the priest. A reverend. Right. right. <laughs> I wa-
0: yeah, that was like a question I wanted to pose for you two. It's like, why do you think he picked Pike to be a reverend in his near-death experience dream?
1: Well, Pike was the one wanting to reveal a secret. And I think priests are always taking in secrets and not revealing them maybe that represents, like, you know, that thing of he couldn't keep the secret. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> what did I win? What did I win?
0: <laughs> nice addition, Paul. <laughs> I like that.
2: Um, I didn't have a, a better one, except just that if you think about priests, um, I always think of they are the uh, arbiter or the person that is supposed to channel the the Lord's forgiveness for our sins the sin of the day is of course killing pike who is taking the form of the the priest so that's the perfect way to kind of fuck with your mind right
0: yeah you know i was thinking because especially like after i saw the end when he does this reveal like you know this secret doesn't have roots and then i went back to thinking like maybe that's why he picked pike cuz he killed pike to keep the secret just to realize that Pike was probably right about, like, don't keep a fucking secret like this. That's, like, wrong if it's, you know, not real and people are going to die. You know, he says, I hope you find it frozen at the end of the second to last episode we just saw. And so I was just wondering if it was just kind of, like, subconsciously, he was like, maybe Pike was right. (laughs) I'm not Catholic, so I didn't even think about, like, what the priest stuff does. I don't know what those rules are, but I really like that, what you said, Kat.
2: I think LJ also being um, some kind of police or military type figure when she's basically an anarchist <laughs> in in real life, she can still be villainous as a as a authority figure in the dream world. But someone that is supposed to be enforcing rules rather than just breaking them willy nilly was interesting. Till, though, seemed like a pretty straight transfer, you know, someone very willing to to help point him in the right direction. She can't do the work for him exactly, but she's there to support him. That wasn't really an opposite.
1: Yeah, and I think that just shows that Till is like a really good, almost best friend support system for him, no matter what, in the dream world and real world. (laughs) Like I think she's good. She's going to go with him till the end, um, even if she doesn't fully understand like why he's doing things. But I think she's just there, you know, through the good and the bad and the all the stuff. (laughs) Because it took a toll on her. We see it in the real world of like him possibly dying really affected her.
2: Very much so. I think we're running out of steam on the dream world. We can drop back into it as necessary. But let's let's use that as a as a starting point to jump over to some of the events in the real world. As you just mentioned, Till's reaction to seeing her boss down is she feels super powerless. She doesn't know how to support him. Episode-wise, just thinking of this singular episode, her going to someone who has uh, therapeutic skills and asking for their help seems to make a lot of sense. However, that person has spent like the last season being a heel. <laughs> and uh, now all of a sudden she can use her magic for good. Did that sudden turn of Audrey's feel earned to you guys? Or did it feel like, come on, what is what are you guys doing with Audrey? Because that's, that's what it felt like to me.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting turn of events that we had with Audrey's character. I did have some feelings, conflicted feelings in the beginning, but I feel like, you know, she lost the Wilford. Remember, I think last episode I said that there felt like a permanence in like the shift in her relationship with Wilford. I felt like they really made it seem like this is a permanent kind of shift in attitude. And she didn't have Wilford in her corner anymore in her mind. And now she truly was finally completely alone. And even though Till had Audrey as her captive. They still kind of had like a friendly-ish kind of relationship dynamic going on, and Till was the person that helped her realize rock bottom and come back. Yeah, um, yeah. And you are more than like Wilford. Like you do something important kind of thing. And so I think that Audrey, she's a human, and I don't. I think that she has shown that she takes Till's words like seriously. She's actioned them as best as she could, you know, being alone now on the train. So once I put that full story together, it makes more sense.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. At first, I was a little like you Paul I was like, oh, I don't like this. This is, seems too much of a 180." But if you think about like she like Inez you described it perfectly with like the Wilford and how she is basically I think like closing that chapter and it was a tumultuous ride like the last 6 or you know, however months since she had gone back and then now realizing like, "Oh, that's not there for me anymore." And then I think when, so when you have those moments, I think it does make you reflect on everything that's happened and and, I mean, she was healing people at the beginning that, you know, we met her for like the seven years and she has been doing that longer than she's been with, back with Wilford. So when, you, when you're when you at the bottom, bottom, I feel like you go through all those things again, especially when like it didn't pan out with what you were wanting to do with what she wanted to go. She was going to go all in with Wilford, but that's not going to happen. So I don't know. I feel like she was just in a spot where she was like, I can do something good and maybe just sort of have that moment. And also, yeah, you're right. I think with Till, she's never been too combative with her i think it's just the situation i think till was always on her side too like hopefully you'll come around like that's what i felt like you know like she's just going through a rough spot on till's end when i went through all of that in my mind i was like it feels a little more earned but i think in the tv world it just felt a little bit abrupt because it was like night and day from each episode but if you think on it a little bit more in her character i think it it does make sense because i know if stuff has happened to me and then like i like will change completely you know like some decisions i'll just completely change or go back to like things you know so it it makes sense from like a human standpoint
2: i see what you're saying because she did have the rock bottom conversation a couple episodes ago she had the figuring out mr wilford isn't who he needs to be for her anymore for her to have her. (laughs) <laughs> whatever <laughs> imaginary life with him so yeah okay all right i still got my eye on her to see if she's gonna make a drop but she sounded like her old self the way that she was speaking she sounded and kind of looked also she had that more glamorous uh appearance
0: for now right and mr wilford is like coming back all sexy like so She might be sucked back in by whatever he's brewing.
2: Well, let's talk about him bringing Sexy back. He said a few interesting things, and the way that he said them is something we can chat about. One thing that I noticed that he said was that he wanted to be left out of the politics when Alex came. And she didn't want to tell him anything, but he asked a little bit about Leighton and this and that and the other. And he said, leave me out of the politics. But the thing that really caught my attention was that he, although is not overtly positioning himself yet to try to do anything relating to the control of the train, he is still bargaining in order to get what he needs. Like with Alex, he needs access to certain information that she's keeping from him. I can't remember the details, but it doesn't, you know, it's have, you know, routes or, or information like that. And he says, if you help me, though, we can figure out, you know, where your mom is or something to that effect. Or if Melanie's still alive relating to that piece of track that had a functioning, what was it, signal or something Mm -hmm. uh, that someone would have to have set off manually. But if Snowpiercer didn't do it, then who did?
1: (laughs) I was like, Melanie did. Um, uh, and I was like, oh, that's such a good way to bring her back in. I was like, yes, I knew she couldn't be dead. Um, hopefully. I hope that's what it is. But I guess like like Layden ha- is having this epiphany through the coma and everything he's done. And Wilford has had this and, and seems changed by it by the way he woke up. And Wilford, on the other hand, you know, he went through, um, I forgot what the medicine's called, the drawer medicine or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, I forget um, also. But they it's... call
1: it suspension. Yeah, suspension. there you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, suspension drug. And he seems to have awoken, at least, you know, I feel like you can't change that much, especially if you are have fundamentally been on the earth for that long. You know, like, I don't know. I, I, I believe in change, but, you know, it's a little different. But it seems like that suspension drug really messed him up, but in a way that maybe is bringing him to the good side? I don't know. Um at least or, neutral, right? And I'm like kind of on his side. I'm like, wait, remember all the stuff he did? But um he he has also awoken as like a new man. So like him and Layden are like paralleling in some ways but like oh, having these epiphanies.
2: Well, Looking at his his appearance also. Yeah. Um he's like he's dressed like every day yeah. like <laughs>
1: yeah yeah like he seemed like normal like you know like a normal kind of like every day he's just an engineer trying to figure this problem out come on alex help him and but that one it feels earned because i think they did good with having him on the suspension drug and then like of course you would have you know it affected him also like really you know uh, significantly that maybe he's like oh I you know blah blah so i don't know it, it felt earned in that respect um not as like uh, as abrupt as the audrey thing because we've seen it pan out over a few episodes.
0: I'm not super convinced that he's, like, a changed person. I just think that he loves solving problems. He loves really complex science, research, engineering type of things. And he has a lot of time to himself in this room. And he's <laughs> his brain has been, like, slowly, like, getting better and better. And so he just had an epiphany. And that's all he care, genuinely cares about right now is solving this puzzle for, like, the thrill in, like, Wilford kind of way way wardrobe kind of thing I didn't really think much about it maybe you're right like that it is intentional to strip the villain part of him off but also I'm thinking like he doesn't have energy so like why would he want to like put on all of those like 18 layers of clothing that makes him this like dictator view so I didn't think much about it I'm not super convinced that he's neutral or good I just think that he is enthralled in an exciting problem and this is a way that he could i mean he he fucking trying to murder melanie he like always keeps bringing her up like this very complex character that he loves in some kind of weird sick way in the same way that he cares about alex still like why does he go out of his way to go find alex to solve this because he knows that she would care for it and he does like he saved alex before he cut off the train with the hundred people that he left to die frozen out there. I think that this is still just kind of self-serving, even if it's beneficial for other people. It's really just to kind of satisfy his own curiosity. But we'll see.
2: Oh, he for sure needs uh, a few more laps around the track pretending to be good
0: <laughs> before I'm
2: totally <laughs> oh, convinced. Yeah. When I talk about the appearance, what I mean is that he usually wears like a three-piece suit, you know, right. like even like a pimp cane and shit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, he's just, you know, got an unbuttoned collar, no vest, no tie. It's yeah. it's a different look. It's, it's, uh, easier going, but yeah, it's not, uh, the clothes don't always make the man.
1: Yeah. But you're also right. I know about the, um, the fact that his mind is always probably spinning. Like he has all these ideas. He's a, I mean, previous Wilfred is like also able to scheme and also be a brilliant engineer, but in this space, he doesn't have that. And I guess he's trying to occupy his mind and then trying to figure out the problem. So that makes a lot of sense, too. And then who knows, just like we were in the pandemic, and then like if we go out, you know, like we, like you're one way just closed in. And then when you go out and like interact with different people, you kind of like either open up again or you're a little bit, you know, different. So he has been enclosed for so long that maybe in that weird state with the suspension drugs. And who knows when he goes and, um, goes out with the people if it's going to like maybe all come back to him again and like want to rule you know be, be his normal self again well if there's right? a
2: vacuum i mean if layton does step down that would be a big moment dramatically for the show is if there is a vacuum and, and say the combination of ruth and till and ben or whatever hits a hurdle that for whatever reason they're not the right combination for that would be a pretty dramatic moment to be like, well, is, is this guy who we know <laughs> or believe secretly has always wanted to rule the train, not secretly before, obviously, but secretly now. Would he step in and wrest control from the people that aren't running the train correctly or can't or whatever the situation may be? I mean, that almost writes itself at this point. I haven't uh, watched ahead, though.
0: You know, and also just to touch on the Melanie point, I really don't think that they would introduce this low hanging fruit of Melanie just for it to not be something. So I'm Mm -hmm. going to choose to believe that I'm definitely going to see Melanie again here. I don't know when, but I finally, I think that I don't know. I interpreted this episode as kind of like concrete proof to the audience who's been waiting for Melanie to return. And this is like a way of announcing that she's coming. So stay tuned to to get her back because we know you all love her.
2: Well, you know, the whole episode is called Ouroboros, not just the dream portion. (laughs) And I've been staring at the um, Wikipedia definition since I read half of it to you. Why don't I go on with the rest of it so that we can <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> ma- make sense of it? The Ouroboros is often interpreted as a symbol for eternal cyclic renewal or a circle of life, death, and rebirth.
0: Ah, so the title here suggests to me also that Melanie is on her way back. We're going to bring the cycle back.
2: That's, I mean.
0: Fingers crossed. What? I need it. I need it. Right. I know. <laughs>
1: That's my favorite character right there. Straighten <laughs> all this brief. shit out. <laughs> With, <laughs> yes. And please. we have a whole and we have a whole other season coming. So it's like, what are they gonna do? So it'd be awesome if it's in the next few episodes, they now somehow go to where Melanie is supposed to be. And then the season finale series. Oh yeah, season finale would be Finding Melanie and then Whatever She's Been Up To And then BAM, season four. See, I already wrote it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that would be pretty cool if, if we do find melanie and then we get a whole episode committed to like her life um yes. and during her time like a, a one episode that's just about the last
1: well however seven months or so <laughs> since yeah from the moment we she like for her yeah and yeah. then like the note that she obviously if she is alive she wanted to throw them off like she was dead or something so she could go discover whatever this is <laughs>
2: I think I've seen that in, in other shows that I like, where we catch up with somebody, but we got to see where they've been. That helps us get all on the same page. Alternatively, if that person reemerges and has an agenda that they want, then they will only piecemeal out the information of where they've been. Because if they tell us everything, then how can they, then whatever twist that that person represents would um, not be a, a surprise to the audience. But I think Melanie would only want to help the train. So that would be a pretty cool episode wherever she is. She's with the, you know, geothermal pocket people or whatever the various theories are that are out there that are based on um, the French comics um, that originated the series.
0: And the signal came out of France, right?
2: Oh, look at that. Look at that.
1: But also it's such a big risk too because I want to know exactly what her... I mean, we're already, I mean, we're already talking, um, as if she's coming back, but I think you're right. And as about like, they wouldn't throw it out there if she's not just the, in TV speak, you know, those little clues, but it would be fun to see her, um, also just hope that Alex would be okay. And like Snowpiercer would not crash and burn without her. Like, I guess she really believed in, you know, laid in Ben and Ruth and everybody to kind of make it through and then figure it out. <laughs> Cause that's a big gamble too or like i guess we'll see whatever she's discovered is was big enough for that
2: i think if she's coming back it's going to be with the mindset that mr wilford was way too way 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 too much the guy that she knew to leave loose on the train even though she left it ostensibly under andre Layton's control she knew that wilford wouldn't just wait around in that situation, and her daughter. Now that she knows she's alive, and was in the beginning of reforming their relationship when uh, Melanie left. A, she knew that Wilfred would try to take control, and B, she knew that that would be continued bad situation for Alex. A very confusing type situation for this father figure that treats her part daughter, part tool in the tool kit kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Do you guys have any other comments, or do you want to move on to predictions?
1: Yeah, we can do predictions.
2: All right. I did not assign any uh, very good sound effects this week. I'm afraid. <laughs> so, uh, I'll, first, I'll try this one.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration?
2: <laughs>
1: that's pretty. That's pretty good. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was going to have to use that if I butted in on somebody's comments, but uh, we were all very uh, good this week and didn't uh, (laughs)
0: interrupt each other. I'm so bad about that. Oh my god, I was was going to say that that one's like probably for me.
2: (laughs) Or here's one: if if uh, anyone's tongue gets too twisted.
1: English motherfucker, do you speak it?
2: Pulp Fiction is like an unending resource for usable audio audio clips, at least in my life.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I love it.
2: All right, Inez, any predictions just for the next episode?
0: Okay, for the next episode, you know, Wilford bought into the science when he was kind of a vulnerable state. He bought into the science of this like new world thing. Leighton wakes up and he doesn't say like we need to like not do my mission. He says we need data. We need data to back up the the lie and so i am going to predict that there's going to be a joint of forces here between wilford and leighton and alex will be key in convincing them i'm hoping that part of this mission is going to be we're gathering the data and also making a pit stop in france (laughs) so we can see if melanie's there that's what i want to happen that's what logically sounds like pretty good to me so that's what i'm sticking with
2: I think all that stuff makes pretty good sense. Uh, do you have anything to add on that one, Kat?
1: Yeah, I really like that prediction. The only thing I'll add is more of Layden probably going about it the wrong way. <laughs> Um, and, and then to get to that, uh, maybe the joint forces, but I do think he's just going to do something to get to what Inez predicted, but I feel like there's going to be a little bit of more bumpy road to get there, (laughs) knowing (laughs) Leighton.
2: Yeah. Well, I I talked myself into thinking that, that he will at least try to step down. No one will want him to do it, but he will be shook by what he saw. Too shook to continue, at least within the same episode as the leader of the train. Now where that... Where that leaves him, you know, sort of in this limbo state, that does help serve up this connection where he could run into Wilford. But I don't know; it could be that he needs more time recovering. He was in pretty bad shape when he woke up, and this the power vacuum issue. I think whether it's up next episode or the episode after that, I think there's going to be a, a crisis at the leadership level, and that's going to be up to all of our potential leaders to try to solve. I mean, it would be kind of neat if if it was like a combination where you had the science mind of Wilford, you had the leadership and charisma that Leighton is supposed to bring, and then you had the executive and caring for, for, for people aspect that Ruth brings. If you could if you could have them all just team up and make decisions like that, you might actually have an effectively run train.
0: Yeah. Interesting. With Leighton, I, I'm not super convinced that he will like own up to like the full public about this lie. I feel like he's oh, more no. going to be like a, a behind the scenes damage control type of thing. Right. right? <laughs> um, on, on another hand, I was just thinking also about an observation my husband made that I think I noticed, but. That Osweiler hasn't been in those last two episodes. LJ's kind of been the forefront of it. And I also wonder if there's gonna be some kind of dynamic change there because she's kind of growing in her power and influence and he's kind of fading around into the background. So it's just kind of interesting development on LJ's part.
2: Well, I mean, on that, I mean I think Osweiler is perfectly happy to be unnoticed, <laughs> right? keep doing what he's doing as long as they let him do it. And I think he's grown into that being fine rather than whatever ambitions he had before when he was, you know, trading contraband for blowjobs. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think more than anything for me, it was more about like um, LJ's growth hmm. um, is kind of like, well, her uh, ambition is, is, is definitely like a threat, yeah, a, a brewing threat, especially because it seems like he doesn't have any influence anymore on her either Mm. from like balancing stuff so that'll be interesting if we do see their dynamic again but this is something i've just started noticing i think it's little right now but it's making some big growth um in the background
2: all right inez has her eye on
0: i'm watching
2: lj (laughs)
1: and
2: And not in her mouth right just because she has one eye doesn't mean that lj can suck on the other (laughs) (laughs) Just point of fact, Inez has two organic eyes. I just meant that she was keeping one eye on LJ, <laughs> just using one of them. Oh, my God. Um, I wanted to mention, uh, Inez pointed out to me that we received a five-star review on iTunes this week, and I was wanted to bring attention to the way that I like that, the way that C... How, how would you say that, Inez? C. Maquez?
0: C Márquez seven 777. 777
2: Just thanks a lot for writing in, C Márquez. We like to get positive feedback. Well, we we're, we're okay with the neutral and bad feedback because we like to know what we need to fix. But um, mm-hmm. it's always great to see positive feedback as yeah, well to know that we're on the right track. So thanks a lot for adding that review. And uh, you know, I'd encourage others. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If you like us, if you yeah. don't like us, don't write anything. But yeah, that's fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it to yourself like Leighton keeps his secrets.
2: <laughs> do like Andre Leighton does. Yes. <laughs> if you do like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Just like SEMA seven 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 did or Spotify wherever you listen to podcasts, high ratings help other peoples find other people's sheesh, other people find the podcast and enjoy it. Cat if people wanted to interact with you, although they won't be able to do it while you're at South by Southwest, how would they <laughs> find you?
1: Yes, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Things Cat Loves.
2: Things Cat Loves. She mostly loves her dog and a few other things.
1: Yes, a lot of Rex (laughs) photos. What what breed is Rex? He's probably a mutt, but supposedly he's Australian cattle dog mix.
2: (laughs) He's a pretty good sized dog.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He actually is a little overweight. So we had to, uh, we're, he's on a little diet, not a, as many treats, but, uh, yeah, he's 60 pounds or 62 pounds. So he needs to be 57. Apparently. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this ran his like, like, is his doggy BMI?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I guess the vet did. I was like, 57 is like a random number. 60. I don't know. I was like, okay, we're all five pounds overweight, you know, like.
2: <laughs> Interesting. Right. This is a mutt, but uh, I think he should be a 57-pound mutt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Inez, who also loves pets, where will people find you?
0: I can be found on Twitter, at NeasyThinks. And then also, if you are in all of those... I'm probably like in five Snowpiercer Facebook groups. <laughs> and I'm always commenting away, having conversations with people on those in, as part of my engagement and research and contributions to this podcast. So it'd be fun to engage with um, anybody there. If you are uh, Ines Ofelia Vivar Dixon.
2: <laughs> Dixon.
0: <laughs> I mean, how do I match it, right? I've got such a Latino name and then my husband gave me Dixon. So I have to make it Dixon.
2: Yeah, there you go. You got to add the... Espanol flavor, or whatever that might be. Uh, um, Thanks for joining me again this week, guys. And we will hook up for episode eight in the near future. Thanks
0: for having us.
2: Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network
1: dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com.
2: Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.